Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today we're talking about Kubernetes and I laugh because last week we did containers and it was only appropriate that I covered Kubernetes, which is the next phase of containers as some may call it. We have Michael Fraser from Refactor. He's the chief architect in Refactor on, which is built in Kubernetes by the way, I had no idea. And it was really interesting to kind of hear his perspective on how some people underestimate the deployment and the challenges that come with Kubernetes, uh, specifically from a security perspective, the number of layers you can be going through this, and whether it's a good idea to go with the cloud native option of Kubernetes or the standard Kubernetes platform that you kind of see. We also went into some of the other nuances of where it makes sense to use a service mesh versus a security policy. And don't worry, even if you're listening to Kubernetes for the first time, we did demystify what a Kubernetes container is and who should really go for Kubernetes? Or is it too late or too early? We spoke about some of the good places to start talking about or learning about Kubernetes as well. So overall, a great episode. And I am i can't wait to hear from you guys what you think of the episode. As, as always, I appreciate all the review and ratings that you guys leave for us. It definitely helps us get great guests. You can always find a link to leave a review on the episode page on www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv. We are on all your popular podcast platforms so feel free to drop in and give us a follow give us subscribe do let us know if you have any episode requests i'm always open for it my email is ashish at kaizentech.com or just simply contact us on the website which is www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv and i'm looking forward to the next week's episode as well but for the moment i have michael fraser talking about kubernetes security i'm going to let him take away with this interesting conversation about Kubernetes and I hope you come out of this more informed about Kubernetes before you start deploying or if you've already deployed it you're able to assess the maturity of it for what it stands for you. Thank you so much for this and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Coffee with Ashish and today is a really how do I put this? Last week we did container security. If you haven't checked that video, you should check that out. It's a great episode. This week we have Kubernetes and I have a special guest for this. He has a lot of conversations about this topic. He's part of CNCF as well. And I'm not going to spoil his introduction, but I'm going to bring him in straightforward. Hey, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh man, I'm so glad you came in, man. I think I've, I've been getting Kubernetes questions for so long. So I am so glad I could find you and uh, bring you on the show for some conversations. All right, I'm going to start with uh, something obvious. Uh, although I've known you for some time and I'm sure other people have as well, but some people may still not know who Michael Fraser is. So uh, how did you get into cybersecurity, man? Like what was your path into this? Yeah, so I'm, I'm ex-veteran myself, ex-Air Force. I like to tell people I started working on physical weapon systems. So I worked on F-15 C and D aircraft on uh, armament weapon systems, and then transitioned into becoming a cybersecurity engineer. So working on digital weapon systems and, and really being able to focus on being a cybersecurity engineer when I was in. And then I've just been in cybersecurity for, as a practitioner for about almost 20 years now. I can't believe I, I can say that at this point. So about two decades, which is awesome. And I've been, you know, in industry, I've worked, you know, primarily for myself, mostly uh, different 
cloud consulting slash uh, cybersecurity consulting firms. Did a lot of stuff in the VDI space as well. So I was pretty big into that. And then I got bored of that uh, a few years back and decided to full steam ahead on DevSecOps, which is where I lived. So that's how I got into Kubernetes and cloud native and so on. And I did a brief period over at Optiv as well as a uh, solution in the cloud security architect. So I've been in industry for a long time and really started out at the very, very beginning in, in cybersecurity. That's awesome, man. And I think to your, to your point, it's really interesting for me personally, when I see a lot of veterans come into the space of cybersecurity, because it's really very similar in the terms of what the jobs are. You're trying to defend either a company or an organization or a whole country as well. By the way, thank you for your service, man. I really appreciate, I think I'm pretty sure a lot of people appreciate this over here. I'm going to move on to the next question. What does cloud security mean for you? So as I said, I've been in cybersecurity for almost 20 years now, and I've been in the cloud space actually. So one of the first companies I had, I was doing private cloud for the SMB, and this was back in 2009, 2010 timeframe. And so I've been in private cloud before public cloud. And I kind of look at cloud security is really kind of holistically covering security, not just in the public cloud, but also in the private cloud. And now that we're getting into cloud native and DevSecOps, I'm seeing more and more kind of looking at it as holistic automation that includes things like infrastructure as code, cloud services that you can use both public cloud. And then a lot of these solutions out there are also being used in, in private cloud as well. So there's a lot of hybrid cloud stuff going on out there. And from a cloud security standpoint, you see a lot of things out there like cloud security posture management systems and you know cloud security tools that are focused primarily around the cybersecurity practitioner. And I, again, look at more of the holistic viewpoint of really wanting cloud security to be a piece of the overall solution that organizations are trying to drive outcomes to be able to do stuff that they're trying to do and really increase their overall agility and cloud security is a, a big piece of that, but I think it's still a, a part of the overall kind of landscape of ever, we're trying to move from a technology standpoint and, and really, you know, it's a very weighted term because it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, just like DevSecOps, right? So yep. I just look at it as, can you apply cybersecurity principles to public and private and hybrid cloud? And is that something that you can maintain more in kind of an agile type of approach? So it's not just, hey, I want to you know, use a point solution that's going to go help me secure this one cloud. But looking at also more as multi-cloud, and you may even hear the term now poly-cloud, where you're using different services and different cloud providers to build a solution. And while we are on the topic, do you want to quickly touch on what do you mean by DevSecOps as well? I, I know everyone has their own definition. And that probably is a good segue into uh, kind of nailing that one as well. What do you believe is DevSecOps? So from a DevSecOps perspective, I view DevSecOps as, as holistic automation that includes cybersecurity baked into it. So you always hear the term out there, shift left as well. And if it requires cybersecurity shift left, I also view DevSecOps, a core piece of it is being a cultural shift to enable collaboration between teams to where mm. dev sec and ops can collaborate together and really start building solutions that are based around more of the modern principles that are out there it, not just including cloud native but really looking at if it becomes software defined say it's infrastructure as code i want to run an infrastructure as code scanner against it that's a piece of the overall 
pipeline and really the life cycle of what I'm trying to build as a solution and also building yep. things more modularly so that I can incorporate different cybersecurity tools into the process and really start building out more of a thinking about things more in an agile approach when it comes to building solutions and really so DevSecOps is holistic automation that includes multiple teams and has cybersecurity baked in. And coming to the topic then, bringing this back to Kubernetes, what is Kubernetes for people who don't even know, like listening for the first time, like why do I have this whole episode on Kubernetes security? So what is Kubernetes for people who don't know? So Kubernetes was an open source project that came out from Google, pushed it out there, I think it was around 2014. And the name itself is actually uh, based on Greek mythology. It means essentially helmsman or pilot. And it's really about being able to create a, a portable and extensible open source platform that's very focused on container workloads and being able to incorporate things like infrastructure as code and automation into the process to be able to push things like microservices and other things that you're trying to accomplish when it comes to building out Kubernetes clusters. It's also a lot more of a modern approach to what we're used to in say infrastructure's code. And it's also very, I hate to say it, but complicated. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to, to Kubernetes and Kubernetes is just a piece of what you're trying to use as an overall solution. And there's a lot of things that go into it to be able to get the end result that you're looking for, not just including cybersecurity into that process, but also thinking about what you're trying to build with Kubernetes and what you're trying to actually accomplish. And so it's really also about the ecosystem around it. So there's a you know huge community, huge ecosystem, and it's awesome technology. And we actually use it in my startup, not just inside of what you can build, but you can, we also are on Kubernetes too with our platform. And there's some reasons why we went that direction, which we can get into on, on some other questions you may have. Yeah, sure, man. And I think that's a great way to kind of get dive deep into this as well. And I want to start with... Kubernetes has been here for a long time, but two, three years sounds like a long time in technology these days. So it's been there for a long time. I'm going to say that. Are we approaching Kubernetes the right way? Or is there not enough education in this at the moment? So when I, I first got into Kubernetes and we were building stuff out of Refactor, we ran into it where Kubernetes is built as an enterprise product. It was, you know, something that Google had open sourced. And so there were a lot of things inside of Kubernetes when it came to security that we were looking at, stuff like hard multi-tenancy. Can we isolate each tenant in the platform? Um, are there tools that we can use to scan IAC or the uh, Kubernetes configurations at the very beginning and the IAC that goes around it? And then other tools to run around the deploy and the runtime environments as well. And there's some amazing technology out there, but I also say that it's very complicated to add security to Kubernetes. And I don't think people understand how much work it is until you start getting into it. And then I'm thinking about other things around, you know, NIST or uh, Center for Internet Security frameworks to be able to use those or benchmarks and what those mean for your overall process too. And so you really want to think about is all the moving parts inside of your, your process to build out your Kubernetes solution and what all is actually going to go into it. And then also trying to future-proof yourself as well, because there's a lot of different tools and technologies out there. And you really want to make sure, like if you're using an additional orchestration layer on top, like OpenShift or 
rancher, you want to think about as well, like what you're coupling there into that particular offering versus what may be required for an overall effort on moving to a different orchestration, Kubernetes orchestration tool. And then all of the security tools that go in there too, which again, stuff like, you know, all the way at the very beginning of your process, being able to scan your IAC all the way to the end to your runtime, like what are you using for the different tools in that process and what really makes sense for you? And then also, is it something you can pull out and add in something else later? Because another tool may be, you know, more applicable to your use case. So you really want to think about that too, to make it as easy as possible when you're architecting out your uh, Kubernetes pipelines. That you said that Kubernetes security is complicated, complex. And I'm, I was going to repeat that myself because I, I think it's worthwhile calling out. And it's so different to when people just talk about cloud or, I mean, that thing in itself is like a beast. And then you almost have another beast pushed into this. I'm thinking of like, yeah, cloud native. And I'm pretty sure there would be questions from people on this as well. Does it get any different if it is cloud native versus a, say, Kubernetes on a regular server versus EKS or GKE and one of those ones which is cloud native to the cloud service provider. Is there any different in terms of challenges or are they similar? Well, first off, there's there's trade-offs. So when you're looking at things like EKS or managed Kubernetes in AWS or AKS, same thing in Azure, GKE, any of the managed offerings out there, you also have to look on what you have for frameworks and or benchmarks. And so a good example of that is at uh, Center for Internet Security. So they have their base Kubernetes benchmark, and then they have specific ones to the managed Kubernetes. And so there's certain things that you can't get access to in the managed. So you're gonna be relying upon the cloud provider to provide that. And they do a fairly good job when it comes to being able to provide certain security controls around some of the infrastructure that the, the Kubernetes is in. And then you also want to think about, and we're actually going through this a refactor, we, we're engaged with the Air Force with their Platform One initiative. And one of the pieces of our Cyber Phase Two, it's Small Business Innovation Research Project, is that it's about being able to have Kubernetes that can run vanilla. And then what does that also look like in the different managed Kubernetes uh, offerings out there? And then who's using it, right? And does it work, you know, both in the uh, commercial side and on the DID, IC, or Intel community side offerings from the cloud providers too? So we think about that. And then the other piece is, what are some of the dependencies that are required in order to be able to have a solution that's using the managed Kubernetes offering? And then what am I using to also scan there? So like IAC, I'll still be able to, at least be able to scan different things when I'm building out my containers and pushing them out to the registry and so on. But then you also want to think about, you know, what kind of coverage do I have on the core infrastructure? And can I get any information about that from the cloud providers versus controlling that myself? And the last part to that is, am I looking to deploy this into my own private cloud? Am I going to use things like PKS or, you know, in VMware or, you know, thinking about like, what does that look like? So do I need a flavor of Kubernetes that I can add dependencies to when I deploy it to the managed or I'm using other orchestration solutions like Rancher or OpenShift? So I just, you want to be thinking about all that when you're thinking also about the security implications and what you're going to be using tooling wise. And a lot of the automation that you can create for this, you just have to incorporate where in the process am I incorporating that and what do I actually get access to? And so I always think about anything that's going to come from the cloud. If I don't have full control over all of the infrastructure, and I'm not even going to have you know control over, say, the hypervisor or other layers 
um, when it comes to this. So do I control the VM? Am I deploying Kubernetes into the VMs? Do I have control over that? Do I need to you know, understand the security controls over that? And then also, again, around the IAC, around the deploy and the runtime, what can I incorporate into there that I can use in whatever version of Kubernetes I decide to to hone in on and, and decide that's best for me and my organization. You dropped in so many gems there, man. I hope people rewind <laughs> this and listen to this again, but I'm going to touch on something that you did, which has, I thought is worthwhile calling out again. There would be some responsibilities that you probably hand off to the provider. And you mentioned that the US Air Force is also trying to put Kubernetes in. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. For me, the way I listen to that is like, if I'm a regulated body listening to this, if I'm a bank or uh, any other regulated body, I can utilize Kubernetes. Actually, that begs the question, why would you begin with? Is it the scalability? Because you mentioned earlier, Kubernetes is like an enterprise-ready software. If you had a choice to build a solution, what would make you go towards Kubernetes, even from a security perspective or in general? So the first thing I would say is Kubernetes is not for everybody. So don't don't just jump into <laughs> Kubernetes just oh, because. I'm glad you said uh, that. Because, you know, sometimes just deploying, you know, VMs is totally acceptable for your use case. So don't, like, don't, think that you have to go in Kubernetes because it's the, the coolest thing that everybody's getting into now. But that being said, I would say, you know, when you're looking at your architecture and you're trying to figure out what makes sense for the applications you're building, there's some definite benefits to Kubernetes from a scale perspective. And then there's also benefits from, you know, again, what am I trying to accomplish? Am I trying to also, you know, separate my state from my state list? Can I create immutable infrastructure that's really going to help drive what I'm trying to accomplish at scale. And then the other piece of it is really is, you know, what am I, like for us at Refactor, we looked at, you know, we needed to have an execution environment to be able to execute the the tools that we support and what we call our runners. And so we were looking at Kubernetes as, all right, is that something we can use for the runner environment? Is that something we can also use on the application side? How many different services are we building out to be able to scale this thing out so that we can support, you know, the initial customer base and then also supporting the customer base at scale. There's also the compliance around it as well. So one of the things we looked at is we're, we're using AKS and, and Azure right now for our uh, PaaS-based version, our platform as a service-based version of the platform. And then we looked at, does it make sense for us to take what we have and have it as a deployable Kubernetes version? And also, does it make sense to support the different managed Kubernetes versions out there as well? And so we were looking at and a lot of these like EKS and, and AKS and GKE, they have various different supports on the government side from the different impact levels that they support. And so it really depends on the end customer and what they can do on what type of version of Kubernetes. So can they use the managed? Is it supported in GovCloud at a particular IA level? Do they have to support their own? On the DoD side, they're very sensitive to needing to obviously have control over anything that they deploy. They also have a cool registry, container registry called Iron Bank, where they push out certified containers that are available out there as well. And actually, you can go and check it out as well. A lot of the stuff is available just to the general public, or you can go sign up and check out what they're doing. And so your question about the Air Force side, so this is the one time, and I tell uh, some of my Air Force counterparts, you know, that I see that the the DOD is on par with the commercial sector, and usually they're laggers behind. They want to make sure that technology is out there and completely proven. And it's really interesting to see how the government side is really pushing the envelope when it comes to being able to support products like, or you know, solutions like Kubernetes quicker, and really looking to use it to help to modernize to 
be able to support the more of the containerized approach to so that they can provide you know different applications and tools and really to build solutions that work for you know the warfighter but also on the commercial side i'm seeing the same kind of push to you know can we pare down particular solutions that we're creating where we can have individual services that are provided on a per container basis and so when you start thinking about that you start going okay maybe kubernetes makes sense but scale is key and then also what you're trying to accomplish the complexity of the type of application that you're creating and then assessing does it make sense for me to use kubernetes or not and there's a lot of enterprises out there that are using kubernetes on their application side because they need the scale they need the capabilities to be able to um, scale out their their solution you know their application in a more of an elastic type way that not just the cloud provider support but that they can also get from being able to scale out with kubernetes well wow, that's Dude, you just keep dropping gems in there. That's pretty awesome. So again, I hope we will rewind this and just listen in all the uh, comprehensive overview that you gave us on this. So I'm going to talk about more from a CI/CD pipeline. I know we touched on DevSecOps earlier as well. And we touched on how A, Kubernetes is complex. Security in Kubernetes is complex. You should only go down the path of doing Kubernetes if you really feel you need to scale at that level, not just also outside of your cloud provider as well. Now, suppose I've made the decision, yes, Kubernetes is the right choice for me. And as a security person, I'm going to start looking at, okay, great, we have Kubernetes deployments now. What are some of the initial building blocks from a security perspective that I should be kind of looking at in terms of taking off when trying to build this into a CI/CD pipeline, or maybe even start building the foundation for pieces for this? So how do I start deploying Kubernetes security, I guess. So from a Kubernetes perspective, you also have to think about all the, the surrounding things that you need as well. So various things from say credentialing, again, IAC scan, I keep bringing that up because that's very important. All the tools that you're trying to scan your container, then also being able to scan runtimes as well. And then thinking about all of the other scans that you're already trying to do with whatever you have inside of Kubernetes, because you're using Kubernetes for a purpose, right? Which is to yeah. be able to push out applications. And so what am I also doing from an application standpoint? So when I talk about the complexities of Kubernetes, you really have to think about it holistically and all of the pieces and parts that you also have to support from an enterprise perspective, because your enterprise, you know, may be using the latest and greatest stuff like I can do my credentials and secrets from something like HashiCorp Vault, which is really nice to add into a CI/CD pipeline. But I may be using other things like more traditionally on the cybersecurity teams, like using CyberArk, for instance. And so I really have to be thinking about how do I incorporate what the enterprise is using from a cybersecurity tool perspective. And a lot of this incumbent products that came about before we got into not just Kubernetes, but a CI/CD pipeline perspective. And how can I start building this, these or using these existing products that I have in my enterprise inside of my pipelining process? And then also thinking about what I'm trying to incorporate into that pipelining process and how I can not just build the infrastructure and incorporate the tools into that process, but also thinking about the implications of what I'm trying to accomplish from a whatever applications I'm using too, because I may end up, you know, using one particular CI/CD to do my build process, and I may use another one. I see organizations do that. Another one to be able to build the infrastructure and then combine them all together. And so you may look at you know GitHub or GitLab to be able to do the CI side. I see organizations using things like CodeFresh and Harness on the more of the CD or the continuous uh, deployment or delivery side. So it's really about figuring what makes sense for your organization and also 
you know, which tools make the most sense for when you're building this out. And then also what is supported from a security tooling perspective, because you may want to use a full suite, you know, like Twistlock or, you know, it's called Prisma now by Paul Alpha Networks, but you may also look at like Aqua security and so on. And I also like this to point out too, like sometimes the open source version of tools is completely acceptable to start using out of the gate. And then when it makes sense for you to move over to the commercial tool, you know, the commercial offering alongside of that, but you got to start from somewhere, which is really nice, you know, to be able to use some of these open source uh, version of these tools. And we kind of, I take that same, take that approach at, at Refactor where we believe it's a mixture of open source and commercially available tools. And it's not skewed one side or another. There's really a mixture in every enterprise that really makes sense when you're trying to incorporate these various tools into your pipelining process. Right. This is making me think it has its own management platform layer, like you know, the management layer on it, and you can have multiple pods and it kind of goes into the whole service mesh and everything. If I were to decide on working on integrating Kubernetes security into my PSD pipeline, it definitely makes sense if you already have security products in place, you just try and incorporate them and then overlay on top of that Kubernetes uh, platform. But if I'm thinking about this and I've never done a CI/CD pipeline with Kubernetes before, am I better off thinking about my Kubernetes architecture first? It comes across like a chicken and egg situation. I know with the CI/CD pipeline versus should I start with Kubernetes first or should I start with CI/CD pipeline first? If, if I don't have either Kubernetes first or CI/CD pipeline first, what do you recommend? I'd recommend you figure out what you're actually trying to accomplish first. The base of what you're trying to accomplish. Somebody actually asked the question, in your opinion, which is the best use case for Kubernetes? Oh, yeah. So that goes kind of hand in hand with what, what you just asked. When you're First off, using Kubernetes, especially if you already have existing applications, is going to require a refactor. So you're going to have to look yeah. at, you know, how am I going to refactor this application to be able to be used within the architecture of Kubernetes? The second piece is if you're starting from Greenfield, you really want to look at first what you're trying to build out from an application standpoint, how many different services that you have, and does it really actually make sense to use Kubernetes? Again, it may make sense just to use virtual machines, you don't need everything that Kubernetes brings to the table. So you really want to assess the architecture of what you're trying to build there. And the third piece in the question was, when do we need to be able to scale? So that's really when you're looking at how many different services that you have and you're building them out. And does it make sense to also have the ability to, to update individual services, be able to roll out as you expand user usage of your overall application? And then also, what does that look like from an infrastructure standpoint as you're scaling out on the cloud provider? And so you want to yeah. assess those things as you're building out your application. So I've seen organizations where they go straight to Kubernetes and it's like, you didn't need to do that. You should have really focused on like what you're trying to build from a software standpoint first before you get into like, you know, getting into Kubernetes because Kubernetes actually requires a fair amount of management as well to be able to support. And so if you don't have the support structure in place too, it's going to be very difficult um, if you're not yeah. thinking about those things as well, aside from the, the cybersecurity stand standpoint. And that would be the last thing I would say is, you know, it's, it's very easy to run a benchmark against a, you know, rel seven VM and run some remediation against it and make sure that it's hardened and you have your application on it. It's a little more difficult when you have all the different moving parts and, Kubernetes to support your master nodes, your worker nodes, your overall cluster, your different pods, the containers. So you, now you have various layers of requirements of what you need to support from a security posture standpoint and then tooling around that. 
And so you really also want to think about the level of the support that it's going to take you to support from a cybersecurity tooling standpoint, let alone just supporting Kubernetes. Yeah. I love the answer because I often find people underestimating the deployment of Kubernetes. I sometimes see that as like a mini data center being deployed. It's not like an EC2 instance. It's not a server that you just bring up and shut down. It's like a whole data center that you just brought in with its own management layer and could have sub containers like pods and everything. Oh yeah, man. I think I'm so glad you brought it up and I'll definitely emphasize on that for people who may be thinking about this, that right tool for the right job but understand there's a lot of work in supporting Kubernetes. So wherever yeah. you put it in, there's another layer to that. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and actually somebody else asked a question around applying runtime security controls on Kubernetes ingress controller versus using service mesh. So that actually brings oh, up yeah. another good point, which is the networking layer on Kubernetes and also policy. So there's a whole nother layer that you can have <laughs> applied from a policy standpoint using things like OPA or Open Policy Agent or, you know, HashCorp Sentinel or, you know, various different tools that you can use for policy around your Kubernetes configuration too, or other things that work around there too. So, and then you can also manage policy in some regard in each of the cloud providers too. So you have to think again about the overall complexities of the different layers of when you're building out Kubernetes, because it's not just like, hey, here's a little infrastructure on the cloud provider and I'm good to go. And then the other piece that you think about too is Kubernetes is, can be somewhat difficult from a development standpoint too, when you're trying to ensure that developers can have the, you know, Kubernetes cluster experience when they're trying to deploy things as well to go test things out as well. So you also want to think about what that actually means too, when you're trying to build out your d development uh, workflow too, because, you know, and then where are you incorporating your cybersecurity tooling into the mix because that also can either slow down your development velocity or if you do it right, it could actually not slow it down at all if you have scans and, and remediation happening at certain um, places. I was like looking at where you can kind of decouple things from your process to make it a better developer experience so it doesn't cause any sort of issues with, uh, you know, a speed or velocity. That's really interesting. What are your thoughts on applying runtime security controls on Kubernetes, ingress controller versus a service mesh. Like, do you have a preference between using the ingress controller versus a service mesh for layer seven security policy control? I, I don't have a preference, but I would say that that's again, kind of looking where additional management layer. So if using something like Istio, adding that additional layer to the mix. So why are you doing it? Does it make sense for you at scale? I mean, it's going to make sense for you at scale. And then also like, where are you starting and what kind of controls do you have in place? So being able to apply security controls and the ingress controller is fine out of the gate, but yep. then you really want to assess, you know, again, the level of complexity that you're adding with service mesh and then who's supporting it, how you're going to support that and how you're being able to support that at scale. But a lot of organizations are using service mesh because it does help to make it easier at scale, but you have to put a lot of time and effort in on the front end to do it right. Great point, man. Frank here as well has mentioned, we started using OSCAP and Claire and now evaluating Prisma and Aqua. Oh, that's a good one. I think Trend has something in the offering as well, but I thought Claire was more containers, not Kubernetes. Yeah, it is, it is container. When you're using container scanning, you push it out to a registry, then you use those containers in your Kubernetes cluster. So you want to think about the scanning process there. Open SCAP is a, is a, how do I put this nicely? It's a very interesting tool. <laughs> a lot of things about it that a lot of folks don't like using. So we actually, at, 
So we support OpenSCAP at, at Refactor. We also support Syscat Assessor, which is a CIS, a, a tool by Center for Internet Security. And some of the nuances of, of how these tools are able to be utilized inside of your pipelining process, and then also how you're scanning, not just um, when you're doing the hardening of your images, but if you're trying to run real-time scans as well. So you really want to be thinking about that. And then also, again, how much support. So Claire also takes a fair amount of effort to get up and running and support. Yeah. Um, we actually integrated, because it's a better tool to start out with, uh, Aqua Trivi, which is an open source version from Aqua Security. A great tool and great tool to get started with, easier than Claire, although Claire is you know fine from an open source standpoint. Yep. If you're looking for a platform and an enterprise version of those, I, I would definitely look at Prisma and Aqua Security's enterprise version. But you also want to start, if you can, with the open source version of some of these um, commercial counterparts so that you can start getting acclimated with their tooling and how that's going to be incorporated into your process. And then I would also kind of shifting more left, look at IAC scanners too. So work with like Bridge Cruise Checkoff and Acurix TerraScan. There's some others coming out. Checkmarks just released one, which I thought was very interesting. And uh, so did, and, and I think Checkpoint's releasing one called Chip Left as well. But anyway, there's more and more to be able to look at as well, even before you get to the actual scanning of your images and pushing them to the registry. Yeah, I think Bridge Crew has one as well for Kubernetes or Terraforms. I mean, yeah, there's, there's plenty of people coming in the infrastructure as code scanning space. So definitely good. Hopefully it give you some insight, Frank. Okay, uh, I'm gonna revert uh, to some of my questions because I've been dying to ask. So now we've spoken about the right tool for the right job, looking at Kubernetes from a deployment, whether you actually need it and the complexity around each layer, whether you can reuse some of the already existing security products. Is there like a benchmark or something that people can use to match, I guess, their maturity against? Absolutely. So there's been some amazing progress by organizations out there around being able to support benchmarking and being able to do assessments around that. So uh, Center for Internet Security has just a plain Kubernetes deployment benchmark that you can do assessments against. The benchmark itself is free, so you can actually go pull down the PDF on there. What I would say with that is there's also benchmarks now coming out. They support some around the managed Kubernetes. Again, kind of like understanding the differences and the nuances between not just the different managed versions, but also against the just the pure uh, Kubernetes deployment if you're incorporating all the infrastructure as well. And then there's also NIST. So NIST has also 800, I think it's 190, which covers some on the container side. And there's a few others as well that you can go out there and look at as well. What I like to say about these though, is they're a good way to look at a baseline, but you're gonna wanna have some sort of tooling around it to be able to ensure that you can run your assessments more in an automated way. And there's a lot of vendors out there doing, you know, the ability to scan around some of these benchmarks and assessments that you can use. Everybody from Tenable to Tufin to, you know, there's all kinds of vendors out there that have this type of functionality. And so, you again, you want to look, though, at, like, what works for me from a open source version perspective? Can I use that tool? Does it make sense to use that to get started? And then what would make sense to make the investment into the commercial tool, especially when you're looking at scaling? And what's going to make sense there? And then what kind of coverage you're trying to get as well? So some of these products out there have a lot of coverage around the entire life cycle of your Kubernetes deployment. Some of them are just point solutions, just purely to do the assessment side. I also work with other companies like a customer of ours called MindPoint Group that builds content out there as well around Ansible. So there's actually a, a Kubernetes baselines, essentially remediation content out there too. So again, you kind of want to look at, you know, the different pieces and parts and is there 
open source stuff out there I can use and make my own? Am I gonna, you know, want to use the commercial version? So it makes more sense for me to have that from the cybersecurity vendor. And so you just want to look and assess, you know, what makes the most sense for you, your organization. And again, start small. Don't try to get all the way into the weeds, you know, but plan accordingly. So you want to architect and start small, but you want when you're architecting, you want to look at the big picture. You also want to look at, you know, from an architectural standpoint, what are some changes that would just not work when I scale this out? So is it something that I'm going to have, you know, am I using a managed version of Kubernetes, but I, when I want to scale this out, I really need to have access to the underlying, you know, infrastructure because I have to do other things in my organization to know what my security posture is on that. Or maybe I have to support it because I'm, you know, a VMware shop and I have to support it in my private cloud. So you just want to start thinking about things like that and how you're building out your automation. And then the other thing on the CICD pipelining side is really think about building things modularly where you can run them against different things. And so an, in, uh, an example of that is if I can have certain scams run against Kubernetes, can I use that both if I have you know Kubernetes up and running in my private cloud and in my public cloud? And so you really wanna think about reusability when it comes to creating your pipelines so that you can, as we like to say in the software engineer world, the dry approach, don't repeat yourself, right? You want everything to be automated from a repeatable standpoint and you don't want to have to build things, you know, multiple times. That's a great answer. And uh, for me, I personally, as a CISO, I always feel my calls are usually, if I'm going for an open source version, not minus the support part, if I don't have the team with the skill set that can code and can deep dive into this, I feel like that should also be a consideration for a lot of people, people kind of considering, hey, should we go open source or commercial? Definitely need the understanding of the product space, but I feel if you don't have the right team to support you, build that cybersecurity or community security at scale in a CI/CD pipeline, you should probably look at some kind of commercial offering. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So that's a great question because a part of what I say about open source too is don't underestimate how much time and essentially cost it is to the people supporting it in your organization. And to the second point, who in your organization is gonna be supporting this? But also on the flip side of that, don't think of that the commercial offering is just gonna solve all of your problems too. Oh, so you yes. really wanna look at how you balance it out. And somebody, I think Kevin said, you oh, know, yeah. use open source first to find easy fixes, which helps you become both more secure and then convince management to invest more into security. And I would also say like, proving out that these tools will work for you on the open source side first to show something that's quantifiable. So, cause you know, the executive levels who you're trying to sell in your organization are gonna want something that they can actually see and that you're able to actually prove to them to be able to get the commercial version of what you're looking to do. So I would absolutely agree with that. And then I, I also agree with Kevin, there's free tiers, there's community editions, there's open. So look at what that means. A lot of times community edition, and we have this a refactor too is, a hosted free version. So you don't have to spend all the time trying to set something up. You can get out there and start using it, but trying to still keep the, the level of effort on your end as minimally as possible, because you're really doing a proof of concept yourself when using open source tools to prove out on the front end when you're building this stuff out. And then CI/CD pipelines can be very complicated. So again, start small when you're trying to prove this out so that you can show something to your uh, executive leadership to be able to get the investment and buy into this. And then the other piece that I would say too is really look at commercial tools that can also help you with collaboration because you really want cybersecurity working together with your DevOps and cloud architects and so on because this is a collaborative effort. You're building a 
solution. You're not just building, you know, something for one team. <laughs> this is going to be something that you have to have multiple teams involved in. You know, and, and I said this on another talk last week or the Hashi talks, it's very cliche, but it's really about breaking down the silos from a culture standpoint because you can't have cybersecurity siloed away from this because it's an integral part of what you're trying to build. And it's not just Kubernetes, it's like an agile automation process where you're trying to build a solution and Kubernetes can be one of those solutions in your process. But you really wanna think about the culture shift and the culture change that you're trying to get in an organization. And it also requires the CTO and the CISO and the CIO to all be communicating and working together, not working against each other because, oh, I want this for my budget or oh, I want this for my budget. It really has to be a collaborative effort at the top executive level when it comes to this culture change internally, which is what we're talking about too. Not just about Kubernetes, but around this whole modernization and where everybody's going from a technology standpoint. So glad you touched on the culture part. And whether it's DevSecOps, Kubernetes or containers, all of that would fail if there's no culture to support it. So very well said. It brings me to the next question. We kind of spoke about some of the challenges in CI/CD pipeline. Are there any current fires that you feel that are happening in the space that should be addressed in terms of Kubernetes security, like I think, or misconceptions that are there around mis Kubernetes security in terms of reality versus well, expectation. Yeah, I, I would take one step back from that. So we all know about the major solar winds breach, which is really a supply chain issue. And we, I talk a lot now about uh, software bill of materials, really about the overall supply chain, knowing the integrity of what you're trying to build. And that applies to everything, right? So that does apply to Kubernetes too because you have to understand what's in your uh, process at every step, whether it's at the very beginning when you're, you're building your source code all the way to the end when you're releasing the production, and then anything that you're building around it being software defined, or as I like to call it, IT is code, but it's like, if it's software, it's in a pipeline, you need to know what's going on at every step in your pipelining process. And then also, you know, things like SolarWinds, the key there is to know the integrity of what you're act, what's actually in your pipelining process, really focusing in on, can I have more evidence in this step that I can have available? Can I verify the integrity of these, you know, whether it's external libraries, you know, or other things like, hey, I'm pulling in a uh, container image from a, uh, a public repository. You have to think also about like, do I need to have my own private repository? Do I want to be able to ensure the integrity of this myself. So you have to be thinking about all the things as you're looking to build out your pipelining process. And Kubernetes is a, is a piece of that process. But if you shift all the way to the beginning of that process, you, you want to incorporate the SAS and DAS and IA scanning all the way at the very beginning of your process before you even start thinking about Kubernetes. So it's really, again, holistically thinking about it as you're creating solutions. I think Kevin said something else, collaboration tools. Oh, also yes. Keep your audit risk team from sending. Yes. Uh, Everybody hates spreadsheets. So actually, I'll hone in on another thing around this. So we actually at Center for Internet Security, we work with them closely and we're helping them to automate their benchmarking process because the benchmark is just that, a spreadsheet right now or the assessment for the benchmark process. And it's funny how this process just generally out there in the industry is still a, a lot of manual handoffs, uh, exactly to Kevin's point. And so if we can start building automation around it, even if it's for visibility to know What's at every step of my pipelining process? Do I know exactly what tools and automation content and configurations in there? Then I can start also knowing if this configuration drifts or if somebody introduces a malicious you know, package or dependency, 
I can have visibility of that as quickly as possible. And so it's really, again, thinking about this holistically, because you really want to be thinking about every step inside of your process. And if it's a spreadsheet, that's a manual process. And there's a high likelihood that there's going to you know, be introduced some sort of human error or something happened or somebody didn't look at a particular control because it's a manual process. So thinking about where you can automate it. But I also come from the other side, just like I'm saying with Kubernetes from a complexity standpoint, you, you also want to think about automating a certain percentage. Don't try to go out there and say, I'm going to automate 100% of this. If you can automate 50, 60% of it, it's still okay to have some manual steps inside of your process. The goal is that you're making progress to try to automate as much as possible so that you can be proactive in your process, not reactive when something happens and you, there's an incident that happens where now you're spending a ton of time trying to figure out what happened and you have no visibility on what's going on in your your process, your pipelining process. And that brings me to the question of maturity then. If someone listening to this has been doing Kubernetes deployment for some time in the environment, what's an example of like a really mature Kubernetes? What would like a top-notch mature Kubernetes uh, deployment look like versus I guess the beginning one is what we've been talking about. That's a good question. I guess the question is, are there mature Kubernetes deployments out there? I'd, I'd probably say probably some large organizations like you know Netflix or Capital One, people that have been doing it for a long period of time. But I would also say there's like the use case around why do I need to be using it? I need a scale. I need to be able to have the capabilities of a lot of the benefits that Kubernetes brings to the table from an automation and self-healing standpoint. But I would also think about from a maturity standpoint, a lot of people are looking at Kubernetes because they're moving from on-premise to you know, the public cloud or cloud native. And so it's really thinking about what am I trying to do when I'm refactoring my applications? What does that look like? And, and then the other piece is a lot of organizations, if you're starting Greenfield or you're a startup, it's going to be easier to assess, does this make sense for me from the, the very first day that you're building out your product? But for people that are refactoring their applications into cloud native, you really have to assess what, what that looks like from your own maturity standpoint. Do you have existing, you know, a pipelining process in place? You know, so does that make it easier to get where you're trying to get with Kubernetes? And then also, again, all of the things that go along with it. So from a cybersecurity tooling standpoint, like what do I need to have in there to just have my my baseline or my MVP. And then over time, what does that look like from a maturity standpoint? Where am I trying to get with that? Because it's going to be a consistent evolution of what you're trying to do. And then also the thing to think about is net new products come out too. So you really want to be careful about locking yourself into any, I mean, everybody talks about like vendor lock-in and at some point you're going to pick tools, you're going to pick a solution that you're going to use, you're going to have some sort of lock-in, but you want to think about the pieces and parts around your Kubernetes solution and can you decouple or pull that out and add in something else at a later point that makes it easy to change, slightly change the architecture, but also continues to help you evolve and mature your overall offering. And I guess the last point I make is, I would say that most organizations are still not super mature when it comes to Kubernetes. So it's still an ongoing evolution of just organizations embracing it and looking at it as, a, as, as an option for them when they're building out their applications. All right. And I've got an interesting question here as well. Does Kubernetes security contribute to an organization's overarching data loss prevention program? If yes, how? Does it contribute to an overarching data loss or DLP program? That's that's a good question. I mean, it can, but you're just looking at it again as something that you're trying to support for the enterprise at large. So I would just look at it as another 
solution that you need to have coverage on and being able to know how that ties into your existing DLP program and then any tools that you're using from that perspective tool. So if you have you know, things in line that's able to, to, to pull data out of the network that you have around Kubernetes or the infrastructure, that's fine. As for like anything else that you have, say it's the applications that are inside Kubernetes, you would still cover them as you would with any DLP uh, program and tool set around that. So I would just, you know, it'd be something else that you would just have coverage over in that program, but absolutely should be something you should be looking at the, to cover in there, especially if you're supporting uh, product, specifically production workloads. But if you're doing Kubernetes, you multiple have multiple environments you're supporting as well. Awesome. Hopefully that answered your question, man. The other question that I have is from Obeid. And the question is, what are your thoughts on striking the right balance between service velocity, scale, architecture, security, and running costs? As an example, when dev teams request dedicated EKS clusters versus Kubernetes multi-tenancy security and cost. I love this question. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> Tough one though. So it is about striking the right balance and also like what are the developers needing from you? You need an environment they can do their day-to-day -day job. And so the question there is, are you building an environment for them that actually covers kind of what you're talking about? So is there enough architecture in them for them to actually do their day-to-day -day job? as they're building software. From a security standpoint, like what are you securing in those environments versus what you have to secure in production? And they could be one and the same, but most likely you may have additional coverages that you have to have in production. And then what is the bare bone minimum that you can have to strike that balance for a dev environment versus a full production environment? So you really wanna look at that. And then the other thing is I would use the public cloud wherever I could if I can control spinning up and spinning down these environments versus having them on my own infrastructure um, or having the same you know layer the automation layer over that as well because i want to make sure that i know how much uptime that they require and make sure that, that infrastructure is only up for that time and the last piece of that is from a security standpoint where do i need to incorporate security scans into the process to ensure that i have the coverage i need as the enterprise but also what is going to impede the developer speed and velocity. So can I do that, you know, off of particular branches that that's not going to cause them to slow down? Um, do I have particular scans when I'm trying to harden around the infrastructure that they're using too? So a lot of times you may not have fully hardened infrastructure for a dev environment that you'd have in production. And then also how are they accessing that environment too? So there's some really cool technologies out there you can use also from a hosted standpoint, coder.com is another one. Great, interesting solution. And in, in they're looking at like moving towards a hosted dev experience to kind of help solve for this. So there are companies out there trying to solve for this too, aside from you doing this yourself and having your own dev environment spun up. So hopefully I answer your question. Thank you. I think Kevin just has another gem he's dropping in there. DevSecOps software lifecycle infinity diagram comes from USDOD. I'll definitely encourage people to Google that. I'm curious myself, so I might look that up later. Thanks for that, Kevin. It's brought another question on this, right? Now, after listening to you, Michael, people have gotten pumped like, oh my God, Kubernetes is the bomb. So is there a place where they can probably kickstart this learning process of Kubernetes as well. Like I think it's worthwhile calling out. I, I feel like as security folks who are being introduced to containers, Kubernetes and cloud and all this, there's obviously an education gap as well. Is there anything that, that you recommend as a good source for learning about Kubernetes that you have found useful as well and others may find as well from a security perspective? So to Kevin's point, and I love that diagram too, and have been working closely with 
the DevSecOps initiative with the Air Force. Now that's spreading out with Navy and Army and, and so on. There's a lot of good resources out there around Kubernetes and DevSecOps and what they're trying to accomplish, you know, from a from a DoD perspective. But a lot of this information is out there that you that's totally accessible to anybody that wants to get into it. So that would be a good place that I would start. There's, you know, the the chief officer of the Air Force, Nicholas Chilean. He has a there's a whole site about all this stuff. Some of the stuff I mentioned earlier around like. Iron Bank, and uh, there's a thing called yep. Repo One, which is has all kinds of cool content out there. Then there's just a lot of presentations out there too that I would go check out and that you can get information about as well. I'd say start off small, even stuff like the stuff we're doing a refactor, we're very focused on, you know, hey, you should be able to start building out pipelines that maybe just spin up a managed Kubernetes cluster. And then you can look at, okay, now how do I incorporate these particular tools into the process and I can start adding in security into the mix. But you got to start out with knowing what Kubernetes is and how it works and then how you're going to apply security to it. And so you really want to start small, get a Kubernetes cluster up and running. I'd recommend doing a managed version of one of the cloud providers. And then from there, yeah. you can start incorporating different tools into the process, but start small. That's awesome advice. I just want to get your thoughts on where do you see the Kubernetes space go? And I know so people have almost stopped talking about containers. It almost feels like no one's talking about containers. Everyone's talking about Kubernetes. Do you, do you feel this is here to stay or where do you see the future for Kubernetes? I do. I think that we're, we're just kind of on the verge of the, the overall opportunity for Kubernetes as a whole. And then I would say one step above that from, from DevSecOps, which is where I, I live and breathe. And it's only going to get more and more, it's only going to grow bigger and bigger. So I would say that it's going to become a much larger market. The other thing I would say to that though, too, is we're going to see a lot more AI ML type of offerings applied into there because as people are scaling and growing out the data sets on what they're creating from a Kubernetes bus or Kubernetes standpoint, there's also going to be a lot of data that we can use to further enhance and make it better. So I'll see that. And then I'll also say that Kubernetes is not the end all be all. I, I, we talk in two or three years from now, there'll probably be something new out there that's going to be, you know, it's going to take over what Kubernetes is from a popularity standpoint and kind of where people are pushing. But I think it's, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg on what's going to be possible and the growth from a, from a Kubernetes standpoint. Awesome. I've got my favorite person from Singapore here, Jerome. Bonjour. USA Kissel run is a good illustration of how agile and DevSecOps bring value to organizations. There you go. Another, another great resource. Thank you so much for this, man. People, I'm sure people want to get in touch with you and know a lot more about communities and everything else that Michael and Refactor are doing. Where is the best socials for them to reach out to you? So you can look up IT as code. That's kind of my trademark phrase right now. And that's how you can find me on LinkedIn. Twitter. I think I'm on Instagram, Facebook, but not because I want to be on there, but I, I'm on there as well. But I'm, and I'm actually on, I just joined uh, Clubhouse not too long ago too. So I'm on there. And actually I'm thinking about doing some, going to do some rooms. I have some other industry leaders that want to uh, start doing some conversations on there. So that'll be, that'll be pretty good too. So I actually, we should probably do something on Clubhouse too. I know. I was going to say, cause I, I run the, I moderate the rooms for uh, cybersecurity, cloud security over there as well. So if anyone's on Clubhouse, definitely feel free to connect and uh, we should definitely do something over there for more conversation like this, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming in. And I definitely cannot wait to bring you back in because I'm pretty sure a lot of people would have, want to know the next layer of Kubernetes as well. Once we go start deeper into this and what else is out there uh, from a, scaling perspective. So thank you so much for coming. And I'm definitely looking forward to having you back again, man. Thank you.
Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to our ne next session. And yeah, I could talk for hours on this. So I'm totally open for another episode in the future. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, for everyone else, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for your time. Peace. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.